the financier. Have I said that right? Financier. The financier. Because a financier, that would be somebody, you know, that would be your husband. No. Oh, gosh, you don't say that to him. Otherwise, he he would be wearing a skirt. No. 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 Enchanté. Bonjour, I'm Andrew Pryor, and this is Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that brings you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food. Whether they're here in France, like me, or around the world, each week we dive into a specific topic, French dish, an ingredient, or French cuisine cooking technique, and we learn about it from a special guest who's an expert on that topic. My guests are all about French food. Either they cook it, they produce it, talk, write, or photograph it. But above all, they love it. Bon app, everybody. Jill Colonna, thanks for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. Thank you for having me, Andrew. This is a real pleasure to to be on your program. Thank you so much for having me on. Merci. So, Jill, I wanted to talk about uh, food today, actually, with you. Obviously, it's a French food podcast, but I wanted to talk about different types of food. And I thought I'd start with Scottish food because you grew up in Edinburgh. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. And I've still got the accent to prove it. <laughs> yes, I can hear that, but we can actually understand you. My um, Scottish butchers in town, uh, well, in a town nearby, I can't understand a word they say, but um, I get good meat from them, so that's okay. Oh, that's good to hear. You do the haggis thing, do you? Or... Oh, not at all. So I was going to say that. We all know haggis as being Scottish, but what other dishes might we know apart from haggis that's uh, Scottish food? I have to say that's something I do miss here is a good Scottish breakfast. And when you've got you got the eggs, you've got the fresh eggs here, it's all very well, but there's nothing to beat good old Scottish storing away black pudding. Yeah, it's 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 um I know that the French have their boudin blanc uh, boudin noir, but it's nothing at all the same kind of thing. The the, the Scottish black pudding is that it has to come from storing away. Is Scottish food a really heavy kind of food? Uh, yeah, it can be. It can be. I mean, if you, it depends. I mean, you can. It depends how, if you want to be really healthy. You can eat the most amazing seafood. You can go to seafood cafes. You can have the most amazing uh, uh, fish, etc. And you can really be very good on that and, and, and do as you're told and eat it really healthily. Or you could have a deep fried mar, a deep fried Mars bar, really. Apparently, a deep fried Mars bar was invented in Scotland. Yeah, and so was the iron brew as well is a, is a fizzy soda that's supposed to be great for curing hangovers. Not that I know anything about hangovers, Andrew. No, no, of course not. There's something called Scottish porridge. So what's the difference what's the difference between Scottish porridge and non-Scottish porridge? Is it just that it's like made in Scotland, so we call it Scottish porridge? Or are you like, my um, husband went to Ireland once and he had porridge for breakfast in the morning and they they put a whole lot of um, Baileys in it. That's how he started his day was Baileys and (laughs) porridge. So what's the difference between Scottish porridge and normal porridge? Well, true. You could add a bit of Scottish whiskey, uh, and of course, whiskey spelt with a Y, not E Y, at the end. Um, but uh, yeah, in general, I think it's just really the quality of the oats, because um, you can get oats here in France, but it's not the same as the Scottish oats. I mean, I've got my my favourite oats that that uh, that I even have <laughs> uh, delivered here every so often from Scotland, because the, the taste is different. It's um, well, really, if you're making a proper Scottish porridge, you know, you're not mixing an awful lot of milk. You're just adding a bit of salt and what making it with water. It sounds pretty. It sounds vile, but it's not. It's delicious. It really is. But it's true that I mean, my grandpa used to sup away his porridge in a big bowl of it, and you could I could still hear him yet. Um, uh, it 
it's, it's a wonderful mixture of when you've got the kind of salt in the background, you want to add all the toppings. It's the toppings, really, I suppose, because you would have the cream in the milk. I don't know if you had that in Australia, that you would get the the, the bottles of milk and then you would get the, the, the cream at the top. And so whoever got that used to put it around the porridge. And by that time, the, the porridge would kind of like solidify around. God, I can. It sounds horrendous, doesn't it? But no, it's really good. delicious. And then you would add all sorts of things. You could add your berries. I mean, I used to berry pick in Scotland. We always used to have like uh, fresh berries. That was that was lovely. And then honey, a bit of honey. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, see, you're getting me all on homesick. I wanted to ask you because, look, to be quite frank, there's some strange names there when it comes to dishes in <laughs> um, Scottish food. So uh, now that I've got this opportunity to talk to a, a lovely Scottish woman. I thought I would ask what they were. So oh, <laughs> let's start with what's a – now, I'm not going to – I can't even pronounce French properly. I'm no way I'm going to pronounce it in Scottish properly. So we'll just go with my Australian accent. Um, a Kublen skink, spelled C-U-B-L, C-U-B-L-E-N, skink, S-K-I-N-K. What's this? Cullen skink. Oh, a Cullen skink. Cullen skink. C-U-L-L-E-N, Cullen Skink. What's a Cullen Skink? Well, a Cullen Skink is a soup. It's a creamy, it's almost like a chowder, as the Americans would call it, a chowder. But it's a creamy soup that is actually not made with cream. I I, I normally make it with milk. It's delicious. A lot of times I make it, I make it, it's it's made with Scott, it's, I'm sorry, I'll start. (laughs) It's made with uh, smoked haddock. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. And in Scotland, you could say to, to make it properly, you do it with a fin and haddie or whatever. But anyway, to, to, it's, it's basically Scottish smoked haddock and you're adding uh, some potato and onion. I like to add a bit of leek or whatever, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thick soup. But the reason why it's called Cullen Skink is because it's come from the fishing town of Cullen on the east coast of Scotland. And skink is an old Scottish name uh, meaning... Um, uh, like a fragrance or perfume or <laughs> like skunk, skunk and a smell. Another one, and I hope I'm not being rude on this one, are neeps and tatties. Neeps and tatties are, are what you would serve naturally with your haggis. You can't have haggis without neeps and tatties. Otherwise, it's not really the Scottish way to serve it. Neeps are basically turnips, uh, turnips, neeps, and tatties, the potatoes. But what you do is like, it's real poverty. They're sort of like, Poor, poor man's kind of uh, food because it's um, it's it's mashed potato, mashed uh, turnips, and so it's just yeah, it's not like bangers and mash, but it's just like you 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 don't need to eat it with any teeth, really. <laughs> this one sounds like it might be a uh, the name for a police detective show, a crackerkin, C R A N A C H A N, crackerkin. That sounds like a name of a British TV show, you know, like it's going to have murders in Scotland. <laughs> murders in Scotland. Well, I could murder a Cranachan now and again. I have to say, right, it's it, that it's a very simple uh, dessert. So, I mean, at a burden supper, you would serve the, the haggis, the bash deeps and tatties. Sorry, I forgot to say, the neeps and tatties, you would bash them. It's bash neeps and tatties. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's... it's yeah, it sounds like a very violent place, the Scottish kitchen. Well, yeah, you've got the skin. <laughs> oh, do you know what? In fact, at our wedding, it was a very French and Scottish wedding, and so we served, we had the Robert Burns thing to a haggis being done by a piper that comes in. He pipes in the haggis, 
comes in with the you know with the the full Monty with the bagpipes and all that, and then they've got the ski and do, which is the the the, the dagger that goes in your sock uh, below the kilt. And traditionally, you would you would take the dagger and cut open the haggis, and you you recite the Scottish poem by Rabbi Burns uh, to a haggis, and you know it's, it's anyway. Okay, we're back. <laughs> anyway, you'd serve the cranachin by dessert, and um, um, after you've had all the whiskey that goes with the bash nips and the tatties and the haggis, etc. You know, if you're still standing by dessert, the cranachin. There's also a bit of whiskey <laughs> in the cranachin too. It's basically just whiskey, um, uh, cream, oats, and fresh raspberries. Absolutely delicious, and it's layered. It's layered like that. So and honey and have. Uh, Audience, if you're listening, this is a French food podcast, but if you're just coming in now at this stage of the podcast, <laughs> I'm talking to a fabulous Scottish lady and Jill Colonna, and she is uh, telling us all about Scottish food for the moment, but we'll get on to French food in a jiffy, I'm sure. What's a stovie? A uh, stovies. Uh, funnily enough, my, my my maiden name was Stobie, and I always used to be called Stovie at school. You've hit a nerve, Andrew. That's not nice. Oh, no. <laughs> so I mean that. Stovies actually comes from an old French word, actually, called étouffé. Étouffé? Something that's étouffé, it's a little bit strangled or it's been, um, it's cooked in its own uh, steam as such because you've got, you're you're cooking potatoes and onions um, uh, in its own broth, as it were, with, uh, oh, corned beef. Normally, it's like it, we used to serve it with corned beef, and it turns into a kind of mush. It, again, it sounds horrible. It sounds like the haggis and the the porridge we're talking about, but it's actually very flavourful. It's delicious because it's been cooked for a long time in its own juices like that. And it, I think in old times, I can't remember. I think they they would serve it not necessarily with corned beef, but it would also be with um, uh, bits of meat that were left, roasted beef, etc. But yeah, again. Uh, you're listening to Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Do you have a passion for one particular French dish, ingredient, or cooking technique? Add to that, do you have a story to tell? Well, I'd love to hear it, and I'm sure many of our Fabulously Delicious audience would too. So, get in touch, slide into my DMs. Hmm, I've always wanted to say that. On Instagram at Andrew Pryor Fabulously, as I'd love to hear from you, and hopefully have you on Fabulously Delicious. You're married to a Frenchman. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's what's his favourite Scottish food? Does he have one? <laughs> oh, not the silence. Uh, Obviously, you're not making him Scottish porridge every morning. No, no. To have with his I'm croissant. <laughs> Can you imagine dipping the croissant, a croissant into porridge? I think he would. He would. Oh, no, 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 no. He would just... Right, well, tomorrow I slap, make it and then slap it on a baguette and serve it to him in the morning for breakfast <laughs> and see what happens. I do think... Of, you know, the one thing he does love is the cullen skink. And any time I do serve that into French guests and, and French family, they are always baffled how, you know, it's... Oh, it's très bon. It's très bon. It's good. Okay. He's Corsican. For those of us that don't know, where's Corsica? Corsica is an island uh, of the south of France and it's kind of nestled between Italy and France and Sardinia and that is why it has always been the source of being invaded 
by the Italians, the Genoans, the uh, the English at one point, uh, the French. It's, it's been in various hands uh, throughout the centuries. Uh, it's the island of Napoleon, where he was born. Um, it's also, but the French refer to it as the island of beauty, l'île de la beauté. And it is, it's very beautiful. I know that there's a lot of pig or wild boar there in Corsica that they love to uh, eat and make dishes from. So what food might we know from Corsica if we love French food? It's funny because for an island, I remember when I first went to the island, I kept thinking because it's an island, you think that you would be uh, enjoying a lot of French uh, seafood and, and, and fish. Although it's on the menu, it's not really a question of it being um, their, their famous uh, uh, dishes because everything is around the terroir. It's up in the mountains. So you're dealing with a lot of meat dishes and like poor, it's a bit like the old, the, the old Scottish idea too, um, is that you would be up in the mountains and you're having like uh, a lot of chestnut flour. They put chestnut flour in so many of their dishes, including all their patisserie. It can be in their, the, the equivalent of like a polenta. Um, yeah, I, I, I actually find myself using a lot of uh, uh, chestnut flour in, in patisserie as well, just to give it that. It's very strong. The taste is very strong. You need to mix it with, with normal flour. But yeah, so you would have that. You would also have um, typical dessert that you would find all around the island is the fiadun which is, uh, Fiadon is, is, is the laziest cheesecake in the world, actually. Um, it's made with the Corsican broch. So the broch, um, B-R-O-C-C-I-U, but it's pronounced broch, um, uh, is, it's, it's a, what do you call it? Yeah, it's just a cheesecake made with eggs. <laughs> eggs and cheese. Yeah, you would mix it with some lemon and a little bit of eau de vie, of uh, course. Uh, then what else is there for, for main dishes? You would have, well, your cannelloni or boge. I think the basis, apart from chestnut flour, you, your, your basis for so many dishes, actually, Andrew, is, is the boge of cheese. Uh, you, so you would have that in the, the cannelloni or boge. So that's just the, the, the cheese, a little bit like a ricotta cheese. So it was served with like tomato. And then, but the, the, the ingredient that they add to so many of their dishes is mint, uh, because, on the island, you've got the, the equivalent of the, the maki, the maki course. So it's the undergrowth. And when you come off, sometimes if you arrive on the island at a certain time of year, sort of like April, May, the smell of the maki, of the undergrowth, is wild herbs. And there's no other place on the planet that has that kind of smell. Um, and so they add these special herbs, these wild herbs to their dishes, and it makes everything change completely. So, wow. Does uh, hubby cook? No. Ah, why not? Why doesn't he whip, whip out his best Corsican dish for you every now and then? I keep wondering, actually. Um, uh, but I, I think I've played it all wrong, Andrew. I think I've just <laughs> – I, I should have let them cook from the beginning. But, um, yeah. Oh, well, that's well, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, guess, I guess he likes my cooking. I don't know. Do you visit uh, Corsica often? Not very often, no, because it's actually, I think it's just because he's, he's so busy. We do, it's, it's sometimes a bit difficult to to take time off and, and to go over. But yes, uh, the, the the family house in Corsica is right in the middle of the mountains. Uh, um, oh, yeah. It's like, have you ever seen Asterix, Asterix in, in Corsica? Or no, Asterix no, in no. Well, when I first arrived on the island, the idea is too, is that it, you're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, his, his village is like there's... 
there, there are no shops. There's not a bakery or anything. Uh, there is a taba, so it's the, the, the local pub, and there's a post office. So apart from that, the, the boulangerie and the boucherie, whatever, they all come in vans. It's like the old days, you know? It's like you step back in another century. It's really quite funny. So at six o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, burp, burp, you know, the klaxon goes, and everyone's like, oh, God, if I don't get out of bed now and get my bread, it's, that's me done for the day. I can't, I can't. So, yeah, it's a very different kind of atmosphere up there. It's, it's great. But, yeah, I think we're, we're going to head off there this summer. It's high time that we, uh, that we, we got back. Fabulous. Now, you both live just outside of Paris in, I'm going to pronounce this cor- incorrectly, I'm sure, Le, Le Pec? Le Pec? Le Pec, yes. Le Pec. Oh, I was right the first time. Yeah. Uh, so it's about the same distance as Versailles to Paris. What's Le Pec like? Le Pec is... Um... It's, it's a small town. It's kind of, a, it's kind of spread over uh, the River Seine, which snakes its way over to Paris. Um, and But I think I, it's, it's, it's right next to the major town uh, next door, which is just, just up on the hill. So we can see Saint-Germain-en-Laye uh, from, from Le Pec. And in fact, well, Saint-Germain-en-Laye looks, if you, you look up the hill, it, you can look over to Paris at a distance and see the Eiffel Tower. You can see all the landmarks. It's really quite um, uh, quite something. And it's, it's a real uh, gastronomic centre too. Yeah, okay. And what brought you to that part of Paris? Uh, I think it was when we had our kids. Uh, it was a question of um, coming out of town and uh, having seeing the birds, but in a garden, that kind of stuff. Well, it's it's interesting that you mentioned birds. There's an island there that's a bird sanctuary. Is that correct for migrating birds? Ooh, that might be yes. why you've got so many birds there. <laughs> <laughs> it always takes somebody who doesn't live there to tell you where you live, and well, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, and that might explain explain why I see so many cormorants and all that that are mm-hmm. on the Seine. Just around. Oh, yes. thank you, thank well, you, that's Andrew. All right. It's okay, no problems at all, Jill. <laughs> Thinking about life in Paris now and then life back in Scotland, what's the best thing about both places for you? One from Scotland and one from Paris. Well, it's funny. I would say one thing in Scotland, and it always strikes me when I go over, is that that I I, I, I do forget that, you know, you could be standing at a bus stop and before you get on the bus, you're already chatting with everyone around you that you've never met before. And, you know, and then it's like, cheerio then, bye. And then and then you come to Paris, you can't do that. You know, it's like, if you started chatting to people, some people would like go, oh, no, 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 no. And they, they'd walk away and think, who's this weird woman, you know? I do it all the time. And usually I get a couple of euros. Especially <laughs> <laughs> I do it on the metro. They'll just give me a couple of euros <laughs> to shut me up and move me on. I've had a great conversation and I got money. I love it. I've been playing it all wrong. I should have done that. Totally. Oh, so it, it works without the hat then? Yeah. Oh, well, I always wear a hat because I've got no hair, so I've got to protect the hat, you know, <laughs> when I'm out in the sun. Yeah. Love it. Yes. Do you want to support Fabulously Delicious, the podcast, and learn more about French food? Then join me and some of the wonderful people cooking it and producing it. Hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, be it Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. On to today's topic, the financier. Have I said that right? Financier. The financier. Because a financier, financier, that would be somebody, you know, that would be your husband. 
No, oh gosh, you don't say that to him. Otherwise, he, he would be wearing a skirt. No, oh, it, no. What's that mean? No, that, that's referring to a female. So <gasps> it is a financier. Oh, a financier. A financier. So yeah, I married a financier as well. He's, oh, he's a, okay. He does. well, he but, doesn't, your husband doesn't wear skirts? <laughs> he does. He does. Oh. But guess what? He was the only person uh, who wasn't wearing a kilt at our wedding. And as a result, he was he was excluded from one of our wedding photos because he wasn't wearing a kilt. And so so um so to get his own back, he got revenge. We we had a we had an MBA reunion or something about about what 10, 15 years ago, and he bought himself a kilt. He looks magnificent in it. So much so that anytime we're invited to a French wedding, he wears the kilt. And I'm known as the uh, La Femme. I'm known as the wife of the man in the kilt. It's <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Right. There you go. Well, so like most things, French cuisine, it's the simpler things that are often the best. There are how many ingredients in a financier? Ooh, uh, I need to count. Um, Off the top of your head. Uh, egg whites, almonds, uh, uh, butter, a little bit of flour, a bit of salt. We're talking about just five ingredients, I think. No, it's seven. And that's... <laughs> You just run through them now, but it is seven, isn't it? It's butter, egg whites, almond flour, flour, salt. A bit of almond extract, I suppose. Or vanilla extract, and there's another ingredient. And it's going to be like really, like, what did we just say? Oh, God. Wait a minute. Oh, here oh, we go. Was, see, oh, I'm getting, I'm just, I've been here so involved with thinking about kilts. Yeah, I know. Wait a minute. One, egg whites, butter, ground almonds. Icing sugar, plain flour, pinch of salt. Butter. Yeah, butter. You can't have fenancy without butter. With the butter, you make what's called a beurre noisette. I love saying that. So what is a beurre, a beurre, no, a beurre, oh God, now I'm, I can't even pronounce, say the words. Um, what is a beurre, a beurre <laughs> noisette? noisette is just basically brown butter. Um, but what I love about the French, how they, they, it's, it's very um, poetic because it, it actually, when you brown the butter and you're heating the butter in a pan first, it, it, you're, as it browns and it's sort of like, it's, it actually um, chirps like birds when you can see that it's ready. But noisette is... is um, the, it chirps like birds. It chirps like birds. That's where you know the, the brown butter's ready. Um but the belle noisette, noisette in French is, is for hazelnut. And it, funnily enough, it, when the, the, the butter is browned, it does take on the taste of hazelnuts. They smell like hazelnuts. Well, that's interesting because does every recipe include almond flour or can you replace it with, say, hazelnut? You can. In fact, that's one of the, one of the recipes in my book, uh, second book, uh, Tea Time in Paris. Uh, I use it with, uh, with hazelnut flour as well. Um, that's, that's also delicious. But yeah, ground almonds is basically what, what, what's the, the, the original recipe. Yeah. Now, I uh, make ice cream um, uh, with egg yolks, obviously, because then it's ice cream. But I save the egg wipes for a pavlova because I'm a very good Australian and we all make pavlova in Australia. But the French, they save the egg egg wipes for the financiers, don't they? 
They certainly do, but also for macaron as well, for making tuile, for making mousse au chocolat, uh, tons of things. It's yeah. Oh, how do you eat, or when do you eat a financier? Ah, well, you would eat it. You would eat it more at goûter time. Goûter, what is goûter time? Goûter, le goûter is um, it's it's like the official snack that the French have around about four o'clock, and it it kind of stems from. Uh, kids coming home from school and having a snack before they get on with their homework or doing activities and it keeps them going before dinner. So it's not a huge, you know, gulton, uh, as you would say. It's not, you're not stuffing your faces, whatever. It's just a little cake and something to give it or a little bit of chocolate or whatever. But 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 that brings on to the history of the Fenossi. I don't know if you want to talk about this now or later. Yes, sure. But... <laughs> Um, well, the, the Goutte actually was um, was replaced afterwards because the financier came about at the time where it was called l'heure de pâtissier. And the l'heure de pâtissier was the same thing. It was around about four o'clock. But that was the high society affluent ladies, mainly ladies, who would be wearing these fancy frocks and wearing the hats, etc., and gloves. And they would be like standing around at counters, whatever. So there's all new fashion to be seen in these establishments uh, in France, especially in Paris. And it would be around about the time that the financier uh, was remarketed as a financier. That leads me to their origin story. So there are two origin stories, so to speak, for the financier. The first is in the 17th century. So who actually invented them in the 17th century? Ah, well, actually, the, it, the, there are two stories. I kind of like the, uh, there are two stories that they were invented in the 17th century, but it, it uh, I've been trying to do a little bit of homework and, and, and trying to find out a, a little bit more about it. There's another story too that they, that was around the Middle Ages that they started. And again, it was, it was made by the Holy Mary nuns. Um, and they were called the Les Sœurs de Vistadine. Uh, and they were in the convents in Nancy in, in the Lorraine uh, region. Anyway, they they made these little cakes in the in, in an oval shape, um, made with the same uh, ingredients, made with almond flour, uh, with butter, and with with egg whites. Um, but uh, the problem was is that that um, round about the Renaissance, it. <laughs> It, it ended up going out of fashion to serve little cakes with almond flour because, in fact, nobody wanted to be poisoned. Bitter almond was the the, the giveaway sign that there was arsenic. Oh, of course. Yes, yeah, so you could hide the arsenic. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've got to make a mental note of that. Yeah. Um, yes, because I'm always telling my husband, especially I don't know if you've ever watched the movie Nine to Five, how you can accidentally mistaken the rat poison for sugar and sweet. Oh no! I yes, seen that. apparently. So yes, so whenever I um, have a husband that um, you know upsets me, <laughs> you know, there's always that sort of threat, isn't there? That there might be, you know, the almond tasting something in your in your dessert. So that's a good thing to mentally note now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That might be something we could use. Um, there is two thoughts with the sisters as to why they made them. What were they? Well, well, it was like um, I think they they had to use up the egg whites because they used the the yolks. The nuns, uh, uh, the convent, were using the yolks to make paint. Yes, amazing. So, like, what was that? so? Is that why you have yellow coloured walls in convents? 
That's a good point, Andrew. We're really getting into the history. This is amazing. Wow, I'm thinking, <laughs> exactly. I love it. That's what yeah. wasn't, from my understanding, it wasn't so much for colour. It was that it, it binds the paint. Yeah, but it's interesting because also in Bordeaux, uh, you would also have, if the other way around, you would have the monks clarifying wine with egg whites. And so they would say to the nuns, well, you get on with it and make something with the yolks, hen, you know. That's it, the Kennelly, the Kennelly. So, so anyway, yeah. So, but, but what I love about French cooking, especially with, with baking in France, is that so many of the cakes and, and patisserie is all around sort of like you're either making it with egg yolks or you're making it with egg whites. And you're always in this vicious circle of trying to finish up your egg whites because you made something with the yolks. And, you know, it's just like so much. So, yeah, I love it. I love it. You're listening to Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about French food and the wonderful and fabulous people that make it. If you'd like to support the making of Fabulously Delicious, then there are many ways you can do this. But one of those ways is through Patreon, the link of which is in the show notes for this episode. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee a month, you can receive exclusive content just for you. So check it out. I'm sure you will enjoy. And also, it's a way of you supporting me and the podcast and more fabulous French foodies. So what better thing to do than support Fabulously Delicious by becoming a Patreon member? One of the other things that it was thought to have come about was the pro- that it was to compensate for the prohibition of meat consumption. So what, they weren't allowed to eat meat, but they were uh, allowed to eat lovely cakes? That's correct. Right. I read, I read about that, but I, I forgot. I think, <laughs> I think that might have been a conspiracy from the patisserie industry, all those patisseries in the 17th century wanting to get more business, so they they, they barred meat. Yeah, that sounds, it that sounds like a good idea. I think it's all down to the arsenic thing and, and then the, the almond cakes coming out of fashion. But luckily, in the 17th century, I think it would be like the macaron as well, that all of these almond uh, cookies went out of fashion and then they came back again in the 17th century. Um, and then anyway, but to get back to the history of the financier, it wouldn't be until a lot later, it wouldn't be until the, about 1890, that you would have this amazing marketeer that you know this that had a it was a, a, a chef patissier who had his bakery shop just around the corner from the bourse at the stock exchange yes now i just wanted to ask you about that so first up uh, when they were the nuns were making them they weren't called financiers they were called what were they called they were well like the the, the names of the nuns they were called believe it or not visitateurs <laughs> like i was say it myself uh, Visitandines, right. And so then they became the financiers, like you just said, from the, the, the Bourse. So explain, what is the Bourse? Because I know what it is, because I used to live around the corner from it uh, in the second arrondissement there. Um, so explain to those that might not know, what is the Bourse? The Bourse, well, is the stock exchange. And so so you would have all the financial uh, the financial clients of from this patisserie coming round uh, using this local bakery and so that the we'd have the stock exchange around the corner from from this uh, patissier's uh, bakery and this Monsieur Lan came up with the idea of changing completely the shape of of it and making it look like gold bars they langled up so he would change the shape to make it look like a gold bar uh, instead of the oval shape 
With the, does the oval shape have a hole in it? And it looks a little bit like a donut then. Because that's what I was always taught uh, at uh, um, Le Cordon Bleu when I did my patisserie course there. The financiers that I made there, they were in an oval shape with a hole in the middle. Um, the mould and so it sort of looked like a, a little donut so to speak and they said that that was the traditional mould but this makes sense that the, they were changed to a gold bar because of the stock exchange. Yeah definitely they, they do that but it's funny because also the financier is the base of also a, a few other cakes one of them is like what you would see in some bakeries today too are, are called tigre uh, and by adding uh, chocolate chips to them they look like little tigers Oh, uh, tigers have got, so I've never understood that. Tigers have got stripes, not spots. So not only were these vis- visitandines, they changed the shape to the, uh, the rectangular shape, the, the, the langue d'or, the, the, the golden bar. But he changed this Monsieur Lan, uh, decided to change the name to Financier, which would suit his clients next door. Now, the brilliant thing is too, is that, that these clients of his is that it was a very fashionable thing at the time. People didn't want to get their fingers dirty. They didn't yes, want to get their hands dirty. Well, you see, it, it all goes back to the likes of the l'heure du pâtissier. Is when you had these women that were that were were, were snacking as as you like on a little cake and, and something to drink in the afternoon, is that they would be still wearing gloves. You know, high fashion. You can't take off your gloves, darling. You know, you need to. You know, you need to make these little cakes. So it was out of the question that you would have anything with buttercream in them, with cream, or with with fruit. So, so I mean, you, you didn't want to get your fingers dirty. But it was the same with traveling cakes. Uh, the gâteau de voyage were were cakes where you would have um, same idea that that they were easily to tra- easy to transport. So when people were were on the move, like these finance guys. Uh, around the corner from the stock exchange, they would they, they would want to have something quick to eat, but without getting their fingers dirty, and that they could transport themselves. And fabulous. Okay, I thought it might have been because they did, they were dealing with stocks, and that would have made their hands dirty. But uh, no, that's good to know. It's good to know. <laughs> so I mentioned before the moulds, and you did as well. The um, the shaped like a gold bar, and I've seen the ones that are oval with the hole in them. So is it? Is this a unique thing for the financiers to have a special mould uh, or is this something that's common in French French patisseries? It is, it is. And you'll see financier moulds all around Paris. I mean, in all the, the, the even in supermarkets, you can find financier moulds like that. But having said that, I've seen in a few patisseries in, in Paris that they still continue selling financier in the, the oval shape. Yes, okay. Yeah, okay, right. And the tigre with the... The round one. That, yeah, I forgot to mention the tigre, the round one that you were talking about with the hole in the middle. The hole in the middle is filled with the um, the hole in the middle is filled with the chocolate ganache. So you've got your chocolate chips right there, looking at um, sort of the tigre with with the the ganache in the middle. Ah, right. Okay. Um, do you make financiers? I certainly do. Right. And so, any tips for our audience if they're going to be making ones? Well, first tip, first and foremost, is um, enjoy making them because they're they're, they're so quickly to easily to to rustle up and, and make when you've not got much time as long as if you've got a couple of egg whites hand, handy that are lying around or if you've taken them out of the freezer uh it's it, very handy but the top tip is is it really try and make them with the brown butter because it does make all the difference to the flavor um um and 
In fact, they're just so easy. You could just you just shove in all the ingredients. You don't even need to whip up the egg whites. That's what I love about them. They're made in like half an hour. You can whip up a batch in no time. So there's nothing really much to them. You shove in all the ingredients, shove them into the molds, put them in the, the oven, and uh, hey, presto, you got something for goodie for four o'clock. So Jill, how can people find you? You can find me easily uh, at madaboutmacaron.com, uh, just like the book. Um very easy to find me. Yeah, it's not just it's just not about macaron. It's about lots of French recipes, even some Scottish. You can even find the Cullen skink. There you go. go. Fabulous. <laughs> Finally, the question I ask everybody that's been on Fabulously Delicious, and that is, what to you is the most fabulous thing about France? Oof, there are so many things to choose from, to be honest. Um, it's difficult on between all the, the regions and, and the, the markets with the fresh produce, etc. I also love that you can eat lots of things that contain a lot of butter and cream and you don't even need to diet that much. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, Fabulous. It's, yeah, it's, the, the best uh, patisserie too doesn't use too much sugar. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I think it's all very, everything is done in proportion and, you know, not too much in your plate. It's all like uh, very everything avec moderation. Well, Jill, it's been fabulous talking all things financiers with you. I'm happy to have learnt a bit about Scottish food as well as Corsican and, uh, of course, these delicious little pastries. Uh, Jill Colonna, thank you for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. Thank you very much indeed for having me, Andrew. And uh, all that was missing, actually, was a pot of tea and a financier to enjoy it together. And I know, well. Uh, but, uh, I hope you come up to this part of the... Uh, the country um, and we can we can have that together or something a bit stronger <laughs> I will do soon I'm sure that sounds like something on the plans merci beaucoup thanks very much Andrew take care au revoir hi I'm Emma and I'm Joe and, and we're, we're the, the professional, professional book, book nerds. nerds two Mondays a month we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books what drives them and their go-to order at the cafe on Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading! reading.